Hey guys, it's Stavo, and this is Vision is Greater Than Anything. In this episode, I got to sit down with Derek Kirkpatrick. He is actually a, a co-worker that I met uh, through work. Um, he's actually the one that's also helping me do the editing for my podcast. Again, this is something that I'm relatively new to. And so when I was messing around with mics and learning about how to edit, do all this sort of stuff, it was almost, it was kind of overwhelming. And so I thought, well, hey, I know Derek at work. He mentioned that he's done something like this before. He mentioned that he had a podcast that he's working on himself. He knows how to do editing and all that sort of stuff. So I asked him, hey, would you mind showing me uh, kind of how you do that stuff? Because I'm actually working on one myself. And so he agreed. He came over and we went through a program. And he was showing me how to edit uh, and how to, you know, fine tune the audio. And initially I thought, yeah, I can get this. It'll just take me a little bit of time, but as he was showing me in more detail, it all it all started to kind of go over my head. And so I honestly just asked him, I said, hey, would you mind just kind of helping me out with this, at least while I'm, you know, starting out? And he agreed to do so. And so for that, I'm very, very grateful. Again, he's, he's working on his own, um, so he knows what he's doing. And for myself, like I said, I am new. I am not perfect. I am learning this. So every amount of help um, is greatly appreciated, and Derek is doing that for me. In this episode, we, again, we talk about vision, big picture, but we also go into a lot of detail of the dark side of things. Derek is someone that had a pretty difficult upbringing, and I think that a lot of people will be able to relate or take something valuable from it. He goes into detail on on some of the stuff that he experienced with his parents when he was younger. Um, He talks about some of the expectations that, again, his peers, people around him kind of had for him and, and how he wanted to break those going forward um i think i think that he went into a, a lot of detail um as far as on how difficult it really was and, and and again like i said the dark side of things more so than i thought i honestly didn't expect this when we first sat down this is the first episode uh, that i've sat down with someone that went into this much detail about something so personal and for me it, it means the absolute world that he would be willing to do that especially to someone that he doesn't know very well but i do also think that he believes and what I believe, and that is spreading some sort of inspiration and positivity through being able to share stories. So him and I are very like-minded in that way. And, and again, for him to do that means the absolute world to me. Um, at the end of this episode, I will also uh, mention that I'm going to have in the description on the website where you can reach me um, as I did in uh, the previous episodes. Um, again, it'll be through my media sites, my social media sites. Uh, in the podcast website. So again, I will leave all that um, where you can find all that at the end. Uh, But I do hope you guys enjoy this one. Thanks again for listening. All right, Derek, thanks for doing this. Um, I know that you and I just kind of met recently through work, Mm -hmm. so we don't really know much about each other. So first of all, I just want to say thanks for sitting down to do this. I know this is one of those things where to sit down and have conversations about, you know, the big picture stuff we think about, mm-hmm. it can be uncomfortable. Yeah. And I know especially when other people hear it as well, but um, as you and I talked a little bit before we started, there's a bigger idea behind this too. And I appreciate that you're kind of jumping on board with that. So that means a whole lot to me and I appreciate that. So we're going to jump right into it. First thing I want to know, Derek, is what's your vision? Uh, yeah, uh, my vision is to, in a nutshell, sort of, rise above what was expected of me and uh, leave a net positive 
and sort of like break a cycle of negativity that's been prevalent for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I was, I was raised pretty rough. Sure. So like my whole goal, like with everything I do, everything I did in school, everything I did with like acting, writing, all my hobbies and everything is focused on like leaving the world a better place than where I saw it first. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's always been about a net positive. And is that something that you want to do through, is writing one of the avenues that you want to do that? Writing, writing is definitely the main avenue mm-hmm. that I take for that. Uh, Cause it's very similar to your whole idea here. Uh, it's all about like sharing the story of like what I've been through, right. what I've seen and everything like that. And showing that like there are ways past it and mm-hmm. there that like, if that happens to you, that the world doesn't come to an end until you do, mm-hmm. you know, uh, possibilities are endless or there's only as many possibilities as you make. Right. Right. Sort of situation. The joys have that mindset or is that something that you kind of, that, that's something I sort of stumbled across when I was when I was pretty young because uh, like I was, I was raised in a pretty rough situation sure. like uh, it was a it was a sort of split custody situation with an abusive dad mm-hmm. and uh, an emotionally abusive mom mm-hmm. sort of situation where uh, like with one family it was it was all physical and with the other family it was all very controlling very helicopter parent sort of situation mm-hmm. uh, sort of narcissism situation so I was raised sort of in this situation as a very young child, like seven, eight, uh, where I was like feeling like there's no such thing as good guys uh, is when I sort of got that concept. Because like I read a lot of comics, I read a lot of stories. I learned to read when I was like three. Mm-hmm. So I was constantly looking for stories and looking for inspiration and looking for something to hold above, like for there to be a good versus bad. Uh, and I learned very early that it's, the world doesn't work quite like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's only the good that you put in it. Uh, and like, I had pretty desolate places when I was a teen, but like before that, like when I was like seven, eight, nine, ten, I started to realize that like I can be that good. Like mm-hmm. I don't have to look up to that. I don't have to find that elsewhere. That can just come from me, mm-hmm. sort of situation. And that's just something that you kind of had. Mm-hmm. Your intuition told you that more so, or is yeah. it something that you experienced was, that helped? Uh, I can't narrow it down to any one experience. Uh, it, it was more of a gradual progression. It was more of a uh, like I was a weird kid, mm-hmm. you know. Like I was never like the. You're a weird adult too. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. Absolutely. I always say when someone says you're weird, I always say, and I saw this somewhere, but as soon as they say you're weird, or that's that's strange. I always just say you got to be odd to be number one. Yeah. So there people you go. call you weird or strange. That's what you said. Yeah. I heard it somewhere. I don't know, but. I mean, yeah, I like it. <laughs> I'll, I'll roll with that. Yeah. Uh, but I like friend making never really worked out. Just due to the way I was raised, I was never really socialized well. I think that's what it attributes mm-hmm. to. Um, but it, it was a slow progression of like, like people would be mean to me and I'd be mean back. Like right. I'd always hit back. If somebody mm-hmm. hit me, I'd hit back harder. And that's not a way to live. Right. Uh, and I just started to realize like, hey, if people are mean to me, that's, that's their choice. Right. I'm just going to choose to be better than that. Yeah. Uh, and then that evolved from being better than like my peers to being better than my parents to being better than my grandparents being better than what I was raised and mm-hmm. what society had expected mm-hmm. me to be. Because you look at a kid that's born from a cycle of alcoholism and drug abuse and drug dealing, and you don't expect them to go far at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here I am. I'm the first. I'm the first member of my family to have a degree. Mm-hmm. I'm the first member of my family to be independent at the age of eighteen. I'm the first member of my family to not have a kid mm-hmm. at the age of eighteen. 
uh, and sort of like make a life for himself right. and sort of rise above the circumstances. How old were you like when things first started to to click where things weren't okay at home? Because I think like when you when you're when yeah. young enough, you don't know. You just yeah. kind of raise around. This um, is just kind of how life is. But then at some point, you start to feel. On yeah. edge, it feels uncomfortable when you're around these people. Something isn't right. So that's like a that's a super interesting question because due to my circumstances, I had a lot of repressed memories for a while. Sure. Uh, but it was when it was when I was 11 uh, is when that really hit. Uh, and it's gonna sound it's gonna sound dumb. It's gonna sound like, of course it was a bad thing. But you gotta remember, this is an 11 year old kid. Right. This is a kid right. that's in sixth grade. Right. Uh, who has been raised with this as the normal mm-hmm. for this long. Mm-hmm. And when it clicked that it wasn't normal was when my dad was pointing a gun at me. Like oh. that's that's when it hit. And like, it, obviously most people would see before that, but you gotta remember this is a kid that was raised to, yeah. like if you do something wrong, you get beat. Like right. that's just what happens right. sort of situation. Uh, and that's one household. And then in the other house, household, it's if you do something wrong, you're becoming your father mm-hmm. sort of situation. So. My father painted as like the worst guy in the world, which kind of a fair light, but always being compared to that in one household and then dealing with it in the other. Right. Uh, but one time, uh, my dad had like pointed a gun at me when I was 11, gave me an ultimatum. Uh, what had happened is he had like taken me out hunting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, he was a felon, so he had his Second Amendment revoked, so sure. he wasn't allowed to have guns. I didn't know that. Um, I learned this from law enforcement after I told them about what happened. But, uh, Anyway, he, like, the day went fine and everything. He let me fire off the gun a couple of times. Uh, and then when we got back, he just, like, stopped inside the door after, like, his hunting buddies left. And he just leveled the gun at me. He's like, I'm telling you about this, anybody about this, I'm going to shoot you. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, when it clicked to me. It's like, hey, maybe my dad, like, is kind of awful. Right. Maybe yeah. this, like, isn't good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and my 11-year-old brain, like, took that back to my mom. And I felt guilty right. about all. Because, like, I was raised, my family is very Christian, very Catholic. Sure. So you're raised to, like, love your family. The fact that my mom divorced my dad was, like, a massive deal in, the, in, in our family because, like, Catholics don't divorce. Right. Um, but the fact that she did was huge. Uh, so I was still raised to love my father despite his faults. Right. So I came to my mom with, like, this guilt and this fear. I call it Catholic guilt. Even, right. though, I, even though I'm not Catholic, I still, like, carry some of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was just like, hey this happened, I don't know how to feel about it, I don't feel safe going back. And then of course, when your son comes to you and he's like, hey, my dad pointed a gun at me, like she got law enforcement involved, uh, we got an attorney, everything like that, uh, and I ended up sending him to federal prison mm-hmm. at the age of 11. Turns out he was trafficking meth and cocaine and a few other drugs for the household as well. He had like a total of like 11 firearms in the household. Uh, but that's like, that's where I was raised from. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't know what your perception of me, but you probably didn't expect that no. coming from me. No. Uh, and and that's what I strive to do. I strive to like be better than what I was raised in. Exactly. And, and I think like sometimes it just takes having that that mindset. Like sometimes it's 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 interesting to wonder where that comes from. That mindset where mm-hmm. when you're young, especially in an environment like that, mm-hmm. when you have all these things that are are absolutely not normal. Yeah. You know, I think mm-hmm. a lot of people kind of have their ups and downs to certain extremes and we all deal with that sort of stuff differently. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't expect to hear that from you. Like I've had yeah. my fair shares of up, up, ups and downs with family and then on my own, but it's, it's very different than from what yeah. yours are, you yeah. know, but, but it's think, all relative. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Because I think all of us go through that sort of stuff. We all have issues or a lot of us do 
with parents here and there on certain mm-hmm. situations. Like alcohol is a big one mm-hmm. and drugs. I think that's coming for a lot of people. Yeah. But for myself, my dad, you know, drank his entire life. He's from Serbia, so I guess that kind of comes with it, you know. Yeah, but it, it's a cultural. It, it is, you know. But that doesn't make it okay. Exactly, because it's one of those things where, you know, like he drank a lot and him and my mom argued all the time, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and, you, from, and you grew up thinking that's how relationships work all Right, time. right. And you, you get conditioned to that. Mm-hmm. In fact, like, it used to be to a point where like he would drink and then as soon as he comes home I, I know the sound of his truck when it pulled up mm-hmm. as soon as I hear the truck I know it's time for me to go to my room because exactly. I know arguing's coming yeah. and so like you're conditioned that way you mm-hmm. know and like I don't know and I still have that weird feeling it's like a fear and unease that I felt when I was a kid that, I still that have anxiety now. yeah yeah. you know that deep seated like, sort of like yeah exactly like for me I don't want things that can trigger that right and yeah. I, I don't want to one of the things for me is that I don't want other people around me to feel that stuff you know yeah. so I don't want to be associated with that stuff I want to be different Mm-hmm. And I think that's a sim- similar for you too, where you know what that fear is like, that unease that you yeah. feel in those circumstances. You don't want to feel that again. Yeah, exactly. You know? And like, and that's been a huge thing. Like I volunteered a lot with like young kids and everything. It's like, I know I was that kid and I know I thought that was my normal. I just, I wanted to teach those kids like, this is not, this isn't what normal is. Right. And you can, you can do better than that. Right. Like the way your, the way your parents treat each other, that's, that's not how loving relationships Right. Like I grew up terrified, terrified of alcohol mm-hmm. because uh, every like three generations back is all I know as far as my mother's side. But all of them were alcoholics. Same with my father's side. All of them raging alcoholics and abusers. Uh, so I thought like, if I touch alcohol, I'm over with. Obviously, you see like the whiskey and shit sure. on my counter. Obviously, like as soon as I tried alcohol, I realized it's not the alcohol that does it to the person. Right. It, it's who you are. Mm-hmm. Like. As long as you have control, you're not going to have those issues. I can fix that light, don't worry. That's right. But um, it's it's sort of a it's sort of reconditioning yourself right. out of those childhood fears uh, because, like, I was also scared for the longest time to get in a relationship. Sure. Uh, I never wanted to never want to talk to any any girls or anything like that because it's like I saw the way my parents treated each other. I saw the way that relationships worked as far as I was as far as my knowledge is concerned mm-hmm. uh, but it's it's all about <laughs> sorry getting past those fears mm-hmm. uh, and sort of working past all those insecurities and anxieties when you were younger and obviously going through all of this did you have like an, an escape or something I don't yeah. know when I was very young when that stuff was going on with the parents and I was at unease video games were a nice escape mm-hmm. hanging out with friends always but soccer was my big one yeah so did you have some when you were young and this is where the writing comes in mm-hmm. uh reading i learned it i learned to read when i was three and that's mm-hmm. that's where i would escape i used to devour books at an alarming rate mm-hmm. uh by the time i was in fourth grade i heard it's unhealthy to eat books yeah They're meant for uh, reading, <laughs> by the time i was in fourth grade i had already read uh i already read like some of the classes like huckleberry finn tom mm-hmm. sawyer that sort of stuff when i was in seventh grade i was reading roots mm-hmm. you know what roots is I heard of it, yeah. Yeah. Um, and like uh, eighth grade, it was Doctors and Dogs and stuff like that. Like, I could not read books fast enough. Right. Like, um, and of course, I was like placed in like the higher classes and everything because if you test high in reading, you just get put above a lot of things. So I was held to a very high standard uh, by my teachers and by my mother as far as like where my grades were concerned. But it, it all stemmed from like I would just escape into a different world. Like, I would pick up a book, and that's where I was. Like, everything around me would cease to exist. All the yelling in the household, uh, like, 
any any bad things happening just cease to exist. Yeah. And, I, and I was there. That uh, happened, that's a, I love that you said that because that happened to me like no matter how bad it got, like when mm-hmm. I was playing soccer, as soon as I stepped on the field, it's like none of that stuff, man, it's gone. Yeah, it's, it's exactly. not real anymore. It's, it's almost like euphoric. It's exactly. Like, it's, a different, it's a different level. Yeah. Like I lost my mom when I was a freshman in high school. Yeah, and that was like in the fall of the school year. And then um, we had like indoor soccer a few months later. And it was almost like every time I would play, like that stuff almost didn't seem real. but just like mm-hmm. almost didn't matter in a way, which was crazy. So every yeah. time you step on the field, it was only what was going on the field that mattered. And that's it. Mm-hmm. None of that other stuff was real to you step off. Yeah. And so that's what you felt through, exactly. through books. That's why I felt through books. And uh, very early on, like about fifth or sixth grade, that's when I started experimenting with writing. Uh, at first, it was just like... <laughs> like a few short stories or like a few like homemade comic books sort of deal is the uh, fiction the stuff you enjoy most uh as a kid yeah oh. uh as i started to mature a little bit uh, as like when i hit high school and stuff like that i started reading a little bit more like creative nonfiction and some autobiographies and stuff like that and i found like my my wheelhouse as far as like what i really enjoy reading is creative nonfiction, uh and that's kind of an oxymoron almost uh, but it's it's telling real stories in an entertaining and different way. Right. Um, so somebody who has mastered the art of creative nonfiction uh, is David Sedaris. Okay. Uh, he's he's an author that uh, he uses comedy as sort of like an escape. Uh, he talks about like his his childhood incident, like a horrific childhood, but he talks about these really mundane experiences and like hilarious and unconventional ways mm-hmm. uh and it's a way that's incredibly relatable yeah uh and i saw the works of david sedaris i read like and like tolkien and like lord of the rings stuff heavily influenced me as well and i took in all these stories and all these ways of escape because i'm sure you know like tolkien he wrote that in the trenches that was his way of dealing with the trauma that had happened to mm-hmm. him uh and it wasn't until i was like 16 where i realized realized like that's something i can do mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, one of my language arts teachers uh, really instilled that in me. And because, uh, of course, when you're going through high school, you have like these creative writing projects that you have to do from time to time. Right. Uh, and she would just take me aside. She's like, "Derek, you're you have a, you have a knack for this. Like, mm-hmm. if you put your mind to it, you in, instead of trying to get a high grade, how about you just try to write something? Don't worry about the rubric. Just write something for me, and I will grade that separately." And she she gave me that freedom mm-hmm. to sort of explore that space. And that, like, I attribute a lot to her because she really gave me that room to process everything that had happened to me. Right. And as soon as I put pen to paper, it all started to make sense again. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it was a very tumultuous time. Right. That sounds like a teacher of the year. Yeah. What yeah. teacher's going to say that? You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? She That's where we she, she was amazing. Uh, her and she had a student teacher for about six months, and the student teacher, like, caught on to that as well. And I really hope that Mrs. Seitz, like, made the right impression on that right. student teacher because if that student teacher goes on to do the same thing she did that's exactly what i'm talking about leaving that net positive right because right. i'm sure mrs sites doing that for me was the same reason i'm doing what i'm doing like right. she had probably had that same thought exactly somebody. and i think like when you talk about net positive i do think that to have it uh an, an impact on a net positive that has to come down obviously to the individual and trusting yourself i think mm-hmm. and so you mentioned right when we started that when you were younger there was all these expectations probably coming from yeah. all over the place, parents, mm-hmm. other adults around you, peers, stuff like that. Yeah. At what point did you start to kind of break that and understand that it doesn't have to be 
other people's expectations. I could yeah. have my own. When did that happen for you? Yeah, the, the biggest thing for that was one, realizing that I was being typecasted. And then I could start realizing like, no, that's not who I am sort right. of situation. Uh, because like a poor kid doesn't know he's poor mm-hmm. until he's told, right? Mm-hmm. Like you never know that you're wearing shabby clothing until you're made fun of it right. sort of situation. It was like little things like that. And then it was people like not picking me for sports teams and stuff like that, even though like I knew I was good mm-hmm. uh, and like just sort of incremental lines. And then uh, suddenly it was teachers that I had never met had like heard rumors of me from years before and they immediately were just like, okay, Derek, you can't sit next to this person, this person, this person, you're over here. Mm-hmm. It's like, they had never seen me. They right. didn't know who I was. They were going based off of my socioeconomic status and the way I had been treated before. Mm-hmm. And that's when I realized like, this isn't right. Uh, and like before I thought it was normal to be like, just sent to the counselor to talk about what's going on at home. And I realized I'm the only kid being forced to talk about what's going on at home. And it's like, I didn't want to be that kid. I wanted to be, I wanted to be the kid that like, just went to class, did his work, hung out with his friends. I never wanted to be this individual who is either to be pitied or to be feared sort of situation. I never wanted to be that problem case. So I worked very hard uh, throughout my middle school and high school career to sort of combat against that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I did that by getting involved because uh, I figured the best way to fight against a negative image is to push out a positive one. So that's mm-hmm. when I got involved in theater and I got involved in sports more and I got involved with as much stuff as I could to try to excel in as many things as possible. Mm-hmm. I think by, and that does look a number of things, you know, mm-hmm. obviously the big one that you're talking about, but then by branching out and trying all these things, mm-hmm. you get to learn more about yourself. Oh yeah. Obviously it's like a nice distraction too from all the other crap that's going on, but mm-hmm. you get to learn about what you like and you don't like, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. You take the avenue of sports, it's a whole different thing than, than going to theater, oh, you yeah. know? Which yeah. is being on stage and being on the cross-country field are two very different. different feelings, yeah. but they're both rewarding in kind of the same way. Uh-huh. Uh, because it's just a piece of me that I am pushing to the extreme uh, in almost like a competitive way. Yeah. I know a lot of people don't see theater as competitive, but oh, I, I, I did. <laughs> yeah. I did, 100%. Uh, because if I wasn't, if I didn't land star role, then I failed. Right. And I know that's a toxic mentality, but that's how I felt. Because mm-hmm. uh, I was raised like, if not the best, then why'd you try? Right. That's that's not correct. Mm-hmm. But that's the household I was raised sure. in. Uh, but I think you, mm-hmm. and maybe you know this already, but you've spun mm-hmm. it like, in a positive way where yeah. you're still competing, but it's more so with yourself. Yeah. If, if it's on stage, it's to be the best that you can be exactly. in whatever mm-hmm. it is that you do. So that competition, mm-hmm. that, that feeling where you had to perform mm-hmm. well, that isn't to, to compete with other yeah. people. That, no, that's I wasn't, you. I wasn't putting people down. Right. And that's why cross-country works so well for me. Yeah. Because you're not racing against everybody around mm-hmm. you. You're beating your personal best. Yeah. Like, you are you are racing your own ghost time. Yeah. Is what I ran cross-country one year. I was awful at yeah. it. Because, it's, like, I played soccer my whole life. And oh, so you're else. a sprinter. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sprinter. And so one year, I went, I was like, this is going to be great for me. How could it go wrong, you know? And so we're just running long distance all the time. And mm-hmm. my body, like, wasn't used to that, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I, I went into my first race and zero idea of how to pace myself. No oh, clue. Yeah. Because I'm just sprinting. So the way I started my race is I started sprinting. I was like, I'm ahead of everybody. This is awesome. And then I get tired like 20 yards in. I'm like, oh my God, what do I do now? And so like that whole race, again, yeah. it's like the competition with yourself. You, you the I like, felt like real great at the beginning. Oh, yeah. It's like all these people are back there. Like, oh, this is going to be This great. is easy. And so yeah. what happened? Like I'm, I'm going midway to the quarter of a mile in and I'm like, 
oh my god, can I just step off? Is that allowed? Can I just step off the path and just like tap out? Like, how does this work? And like, that was on my mind the entire time I was running. Mm-hmm. Can I just step off? Maybe I'll go a couple more yards. Maybe I can step off. And that's, that's going on. That's what cross country is. It's okay, 400 more yards. Yeah. That's what it is. And that's, that's how I broke it down for myself when mm-hmm. I first started was like, because before all I had was track, uh, track mm-hmm. experience. So like, I was used to like sprinting the 400. I was used to running the 800 uh, and running the mile. And I had like raced miles before, so I'm like, oh, a uh, 5k, what's that? Easy. Just just, just triple that, right? It's right. no problem. Yeah. Uh, and then my my first race hit, uh, and I'm asthmatic. Uh, it it's mainly triggered by stress and cigarette smoke. Okay. But uh, it does it does kick in a little bit when I ran, but I I powered through it. Mm-hmm. But like I got about uh, got about half a mile in, and I'm like, okay, so just this for a lot longer. So I'm yeah. 800 in and like my coach was very good about young. You're 800 in, you're 1600 right. in and like stuff like that. So I'm like, okay, so it's just 400 more and then 400 after that mm-hmm. and 400 after that. Oh, you, and you get to a point and they call it a runner's high mm-hmm. where like fatigue, fatigue stops being a thing mm-hmm. and there's just your pace and you can, you can crank it up, you can crank it down, but you are stuck at that pace mm-hmm. and you are not feeling tired. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it became a battle with myself to make that runner's high happen at higher and higher speeds right uh, oh that's a good way to put that yeah mm-hmm. i never thought about that yeah because when i was doing it like i only raced like well, i did one season of it and i was like brand new to it so i had no idea what i was doing and so i never got to that point where like i find this right pace that works for me mm-hmm. i'll just go and if i didn't die then i did okay you know <laughs> i get to the end and when hey, i saw the finish line finishing. i'm like oh my god i still have a little bit of energy i was yeah. sprint yeah finishing the race is is an accomplishment oh right? it is and I, I hope the community where you ran was as good as the community where I ran mm-hmm. because like it doesn't matter if like it takes you half an hour to finish the race right. you will have people screaming for you oh, yeah. no matter what time you get oh yeah and like uh, it's so my team almost got disqualified from a match uh, and it's it's mainly because our coach was just such a nice guy and he just treated he just like sort of coached us to be good people right. and then be good runners yeah, yeah. Uh, but. Like there's there's a few kids that do cross country as a form of self improvement yeah. and a way to race against themselves and not race against anybody else. Like mm-hmm. it's less about the competitive side and more of like an accomplishment. So yeah. you get you get kids who have uh, physical limitations or mental limitations, uh, and like there was a kid who had polio and he's he's like limping along, but he's finishing this race. He's right. like the the quote unquote race had already like everybody had already crossed the line like four minutes. Sure, but this kid's out there still running, and like we see, like people like starting to leave, mm-hmm. uh, and we had already finished the race like a while ago. Mm-hmm. So uh, we we had our sweats on, and like we just looked at our coach, and like we all just talked together, and it's like, okay, so it's against the rules. Coach isn't watching. Tarps off. Let's finish the race. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we just we suited back up. We got back on the field and just jogged at his pace. Like you got this, man. Yeah, you got this. Keep yeah. going. It's just another four hundred. It's just another one hundred. You've got this final sprint. You've got this final kick. Let's go. And like people started noticing that we were back on the field. One, that's wrong. You can't do that. But two, you lose. Yeah, but two, we were helping this kid. Right. Like this kid, and he was having the time of his life. And he finishes out that race. He's he's bawling. His parents are bawling, mm-hmm. and everything like that. And uh, our coach is like, I am so proud mm-hmm. of everything. I do not care if we just get disqualified because you guys won that race oh, yeah. with that kid. You helped him finish. That's that's why you do this. Mm-hmm. And and like that just further reinforced for me. Like 
it doesn't matter what you're doing. Just just make someone happy. Mm-hmm. Just leave them happy. Yeah, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. And then that's that's and you keep going to the net positive, especially with like mm-hmm. a cross country story. That you know, I feel like the net positive thing, and a lot of people are gonna love that. But I think some might get a little bit confused in that it's got to be these big, great, grand things. Oh, that's no, not never. the case, you know. Never, never net never. positives like, like it can be the time. The tiniest of things can can change your day. Mm-hmm. Just think about it like a smile. When you see someone smile at you when you walk by, like that makes yeah. me feel good. Yeah. It's something that small. Yeah, like at, at work today, I had a I had a guy come in. His wife died a year ago, December 8th. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he just had like some troubleshooting with his phone. It took me five minutes to fix. He yeah. stayed half an hour, 45 minutes, yeah. just telling me stories. Mm-hmm. And I didn't kick I just sat and listened. Because yeah. like, he needed that. Sometimes people just like to need, need yeah. to talk. And I it's, feel like it's a Like he's, he's lived alone for an entire year. Yeah. His kids live in a different state. It's close to Christmas. Yeah. If I can be that connection for him for 45 minutes in a U.S. cellular, mm-hmm. like, I'm going to do that for him. Right. It, it's it's the little, little things. Because those little things, they do a number of things. And this is like mm-hmm. what I envision with all the stuff I'm doing, too, is, one, I think it makes, obviously, you feel very good about it. Yeah. It probably makes their day. Mm-hmm. And then maybe there's a, a ripple effect after that. Yeah. Because if you can treat people with kindness as best you can, and then maybe they do it to somebody else, yeah. then maybe they'll do it to oh. somebody else and so on. That is like the hope. If it isn't the case about me being nice to one person that it's going to reach out to 10,000. Yeah. That may not be realistic, but... If it reaches out to two, that's a success. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Just the one is huge, you know, mm-hmm. because I think a lot about, again, sitting down and talking with people mm-hmm. in that environment. It's huge. Like this, That conversation might be the only one they've had in the last few weeks. Exactly. You know? And mm-hmm. I just feel like the day and age we live in is, I think we're all just short of avenues to talk about stuff. Mm-hmm. about our lives about stuff like this that we're passionate about too about yeah. the things that are, that are hard for us and that's kind of the idea behind this I, I want this to be like a a place where we can have these conversations regardless of where you're from Yeah, I don't think anybody's too old or too young to have a vision a bigger picture why they do things that's for everybody Yeah, and I think that avenues like this but you being open and sharing like that I, it's just, I, my hope is that like you said that this might be a net positive too that mm-hmm. maybe someone hears it and then maybe someone hears yeah. it and, and and so on. Exactly. You know? Because, like, again, like, I was as, I'm an asthmatic kid. Mm-hmm. I was raised in a bad household. I was raised to, like, the expectation, like, hey, if you even graduate high school, that's the best you're going to get. Right. Sort of situation. But, like, no. That stuff doesn't matter. And, like, people will look at me and think, like, oh, he's not going to be able to do that. No. You just, you go out, you do the best you can, and you help other people along the way. Yeah. And like, if people can like look and see, like, hey, that kid made it, like he got out of that, mm-hmm. and he's working for the best. Like, maybe that can inspire someone. Like, right. hey, I've had a similar situation. I have similar limitations and expectations put right. on my shoulders. If you can shrug that off for two seconds, that's a success. Yeah, yeah. So I think to do anything at all versus nothing is success. I mm-hmm. think a lot of people are scared that things won't yeah. go their way or that they will get judged. Yeah. I think that the only way you lose is to not do anything at all. Mm-hmm. We can sit at home all day long and contemplate on maybe I'll try this, mm-hmm. maybe I'll do that. You only lose if you don't try. Exactly. Mm-hmm. If you just try something, anything at all, you only get results. And that's something that like I, I like to talk about quite a bit is that all there is is results and mm-hmm. then how you want to interpret them. Either the ones you wanted or the ones that you didn't. Yeah. You get to choose what they mean to you. So mm-hmm. things don't go well. Why didn't they go well? And then make me maybe make your adjustments there. Yep. But you can't lose that way. You know, it isn't a guarantee that if you just try, things are going to go great. 
That's BS too. We know that yeah. very well. Mm -hmm. But that isn't the point. Yeah. And and the thing is, it doesn't have to. Like you said earlier, it doesn't have to be a great big thing. Right. Sometimes that struggle is like getting out of bed. Yeah. Sometimes it's a day off and like you just don't want to move. Yeah. But like getting up, cleaning the place, doing the dishes—that's a success. Yeah. Because like living in a clean place, you're gonna feel a little bit better. Right. You 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 accomplish something mm -hmm. that day. And sometimes that's the biggest struggle at the moment. Yeah. Sometimes that biggest struggle is kicking off the podcast. Sometimes right. it's it, there's a million things it could be. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but going out there and making the attempt that's that's sort of what you gotta do right right and i think that when and i don't know if this is going to happen for a lot of people but and, and this, this is what i see quite a bit actually this is like the mm -hmm. case for me where i'll see a lot of people that again want to start something do something but then there's always that there's always that uncomfortable part of it you mm -hmm. know which is the starting the getting going there's there's many aspects of that but I think we all fear that uncomfortable spot. Yeah. And it's hard to get past that. Where right. I feel like the uncomfortable part of starting something new, trying something new, uncomfortable, that's only for a short period. But we build it up as if it's this big, huge, massive thing. Yeah. And it never is. Mm -hmm. And few people get to understand that because they'll let that uncomfortable thing be so massive, this, this giant wall that you just can't get over, mm -hmm. and then you'll never see what the other side's like. Yeah. I feel that so many people do that, you know, mm -hmm. and I think going off what you just said right there is, you know, those small things, small mm -hmm. ways to make yourself feel good and successful. Yeah. I think that we put like success on such a high pedestal mm -hmm. because we make it out in our own heads. It has to be this big, great, grand thing. Mm -hmm. I have to make a million bucks to be successful. I have to run this business to be successful. I have to do all these things. And the reason you rarely feel success is because you have these terrible high expectations mm -hmm. that are just so unrealistic. Yeah. You can feel success every single day in a small way. Yeah. Like you said, if you make it a point that for me to feel success, that means cooking at home three times a day. Yep. Doing my laundry. Those little tiny things. If you do that over time, over and over and over, these small things so you can feel what success feels like, what it tastes like, if you yeah. can do that for yourself, then you can start to set little bigger expectations. But mm -hmm. if you just come out of the gate... I gotta make a million bucks. Yeah. I gotta buy a Ferrari. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're never gonna reach that stuff because you're only no. thinking about the end goals. Exactly. You know. Yeah. I was gonna ask you. Um, another thing you said a little bit ago is when you're like on stage and you're doing the acting and that sort of stuff. Like, mm -hmm. how is that for you? Does oh, it make you nervous? Oh, it like, is. What are you thinking here? Because I think it's like, euphoric. So, yeah. uh, like. I used to be like a super quiet, shy kid, uh -huh. right? But like I would go home uh, and like uh, I would be alone for a long time and like I would watch my, sh I would watch cartoons all the time. I would read my books and everything. And like I, I would practice funny voices. I would watch like, I'm a huge, huge fan of Muppets, right? I never even seen it. I watched it hundreds and hundreds of times. Mm -hmm. uh, raised on Sesame Street. Uh, so I would like imitate the voice and everything like that and I would do these funny things and I watched a lot of like Monty Python and like old comedy stuff like that uh, and then there was uh, I remember it was like 6th or 7th grade uh, the high school drama group like came down and did like a like a little presentation uh, to the younger kids just like hey this is a thing that we can do and I saw like some people doing improv and stuff like that I'm like that doesn't seem so right uh, and then uh, once it got to seventh grade and there was like uh, school musicals and school plays and stuff, I signed up. I was the first to sign up and everybody was like confused because that would mean Derek, who doesn't like speaking in front of class, uh -huh. would now be on the stage in front of everybody. Right. 
Uh, and how old were you then? Uh, I would have been, I would have been 12, 13. Okay. About that time. Okay. So this is, this is directly after right, the right. big, sure. big scenario that happened to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was just one more expectation thrown my way. And at this point, stuff like that just got me livid. Like if you, if anybody told me I couldn't do something, I would make, even if I didn't want to do it, I would make it a point to do it. Mm-hmm. Like just out of spite. Right. But I had already wanted to act. And then people were like, why is he doing this? He's not going to be good. Mm-hmm. He's just going to embarrass himself. And I'm like, watch. <laughs> yeah. So I, I went to the auditions. I gave it my all. And it like, it made some people uncomfortable because they had only known me to like be the shy kid. And I was mm-hmm. like, I was loud. I was boisterous. Right. Uh, and all of that. And like, I landed a leading role seventh grade, mm-hmm. and then again eighth grade, mm-hmm. then again ninth grade. Uh, and in high school, we have this uh, we have this organization called like speech. Uh, you you have that at all? Oh, speech yeah. like a speech class, yeah. Uh, like, but like a competition. Oh, they had that in high school. Like, I never like, did it, but it was, it was like, like a game. debate almost, right? Uh, no, debate no. was different. Okay. So there was like things like uh, there's two categories, right? There's individual speech and there's group speech. Okay, and that's broken down into different categories almost like competitions where there's uh group musical theater group acting group improv like different genres mm-hmm. uh and at my school you were allowed to be in two groups uh you were allowed to do two things and there's two seasons so to speak there's group season and individual season okay group season uh say you did uh readers theater there's like 12 kids you're all reading off a script and doing a play uh and group improv uh there's there's three or four of you uh, and you do an improvisational skit uh, sort of situation mm-hmm. and it's uh, and it's a competition like you go in front of three judges and there's like local regional state and all state right and that's like all state is you made it it's no longer a competition you're just showing off right uh, and freshman year I got all state uh, in both individual and group speech really? uh, I went from this quiet shy kid to like on stage in front of people and receiving like state recognition for for acting uh, and I, I did that for uh, what was called storytelling, uh, where I would memorize a story and the whole competition is you're sitting on a stool and you cannot move the, you cannot leave the stool. And it's sort of like a, it's paying homage to like oral traditions, mm-hmm. you know, like how like the very first stories were just spoken. Right. You're just speaking to a group of people. That's what it is. Uh, and I memorized, memorized a story, gave each character a different voice, acted it all out on a stool, blew the judge's socks off. Uh, and then I continued to do that through high school, senior year. I got it for individual acting, where you memorize an entire like one act play and do it all just you. Doesn't matter how many characters are, you're the only actor there, and you can either play all those characters or it can be a solo monologue. But it's it's a huge sort of mind trip uh, to like go from being the quiet kid right. to being on stage. And so obviously, when you did it, the mm-hmm. confidence was there when you were doing it. But mm-hmm. where did that come from? That confidence. I still puzzle over that, actually. Because I I was not a confident kid until that happened. Uh, I think that confidence came from, like, the looks on people's faces at first. Uh, Because when I'm on stage, I completely forget that there's an audience, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, But in rehearsals... And that's when you know, like, you're doing it for you and something mm -hmm. you're passionate about. Yeah. When you're in front of people, and it feels like there's nobody else there. There's nobody there. Yeah. It's just just me and my Mm -hmm. co-stars. or when it was individuals, it was just me. Uh, but I think I think when that confidence really hit was our first rehearsal uh, in seventh grade because it's just you 
and your peers and your director, right? And just like seeing the looks on everybody's face as I was like reading my script and as I was getting into this character, like they were, they weren't reacting to Derek doing things. They were experiencing like a movie, right. you know, like, like when you see an actor in a film, there's some actors where you're like, oh, Will Ferrell is playing somebody. Right. And then there's some people who's like, oh, you speak of them as that character. Yeah. You know what I mean? And as soon as I learned to cross that divide where people would forget that it's just shy little Derek and instead a character, mm -hmm. that's where that confidence came from, that I had the ability to, like, project that. Right. Um, yeah, so you, like, you, you didn't, and this is going to, a lot of people like this, because I'm always intrigued by, like, where confidence comes from. Mm -hmm. I think, like, when you're growing up and you feel like you don't have confidence mm -hmm. for a long, long time, you just, sometimes you just think that that's just kind of how it is. It's something you either have or you don't. Yeah. You can't go get. Yeah. That's I got my, myself mm -hmm. in that place sometimes too. Mm -hmm. And so it's something like you did there. Obviously, you had, there was something that, that made you go out and do it and you mm -hmm. happened to do really, really well. Yeah. And then the confidence even grew from there. Yeah. But like, like that kind of, like where that stemmed from was like, I realized that it felt really good to like perform and it took me a long time to dissect why I like doing it and I didn't get it until my senior year of high mm -hmm. school because I realized like <laughs> once I hit Allstate uh when you get to Allstate there's like quote-unquote celebrity judges it's not like like A-listers or anything like that but they'll pull people that have like been news anchors for like 35 years mm -hmm. or who have done like who have run Broadway or have been performed on Broadway and they bring them in Mm -hmm. the two quote-unquote judging they just give you their critiques and their advice uh and at all states basically like a festival you go around you watch people and you congratulate them because they made it there's no winner of all state so mm -hmm. to speak um but i was watching all these people and uh i was hearing conversations happening of like why they got into like why these veterans of the showbiz like got into it and everything like that so i like started reflecting like oh i was doing because i like to i just like to do it i'm like no, that's not true. Like, why does why does it make me feel good? Like, why doesn't everybody do this? Why right. is it only like this select group? Right. And I realized, like, like doing voices and entertaining and performing is one of the easiest ways for me to like make people happy. Mm -hmm. Because like when you're at a performance, when you're watching something, you forget about everything else. Mm -hmm. Like when you go to a movie, you go there to experience it. When you go to a play, you go there to experience it, and you leave everything else at the door. Mm -hmm. or at least that's the goal right. of the performers is to get you into another world and I realized that my performance was just another branch of my writing writing it's very personal it's very one-on-one -on -one. it's my words your reactions and I'm trying to get you into a different world mm -hmm. with performance it's it's this weird mix of disassociation where it's not me personally but I am creating something for you to lose yourself in Mm -hmm. And that's where I found, like, that's what made me feel good. And making people feel good is, like, what I want to do. Right. It's all about that, again, that positive. Like, if I can make you forget your troubles and laugh at a dumb comedy skit, or mm -hmm. if I can get you invested in a character, then I succeeded. And that's where my confidence comes from, is mm -hmm. from, if I can see the shift from you seeing Derek to seeing a character, that makes my soul soar. Mm -hmm. Like, that's where it comes from. Is it hard for you to be honest with yourself about the things you're not good at? Uh, like, do, you, do you, and this is something it, like I did for myself, and it was really mm -hmm. comfortable for a while, but like being very honest about like, 
my insecurities and where that stuff comes from. Like I took the time to think about that and where they come from, and like, there was nothing more uncomfortable than that. Because like sometimes you just you just don't want to think about that stuff, you know. Yeah. Is that something that's hard for you, or do you find it like helpful? Because like now, where I'm at, like I find it helpful to really think deep about those things. When I was when I was young, it was definitely a problem mm-hmm. uh, as far as introspection and everything like that. Uh, because I I mean everybody does it as a kid; they project, right? Right. Um, but once I once I was like on my own, so to speak, I uh, I really turned that eye inward uh, towards the things that I didn't like about myself that I like tried to hide from everything because obviously when you're good at <coughs> sorry when you're good at something you try to push that out you try right. to put that on display mm-hmm. uh and i really had to look inside and like see why i still didn't like myself because i didn't like myself for a very long time yeah uh and looking at the things that i don't like about myself that i'm not good at that i'm not good at dealing with is the only way that i was able to move forward right. and to move past it otherwise you just carry that weight yeah uh, and there's a lot of stuff that you just kind of got to let go right. and you got to just accept like I know like I'm ter- I'm terrible at music. Mm-hmm. I love music. Mm-hmm. Love it passionately. I'm never going to be able to perform it again. Right. Uh, I let that I let that skill slide. I can work for it very hard, but it's going to take a lot of my time. Mm-hmm. And frankly, my time is better served elsewhere. So that's right. just a passion that like I can still be involved in, mm-hmm. but I just have to know like I'm not I don't sing. Yeah. And like Am I insecure about my singing? Yeah, mm-hmm. but am I okay with that? Yeah. yeah, I looked inward, and that's that's a very silly example. Obviously, there's a lot of deeper, of deeper things there, but that's just an example. Like you find those things that you're not good at. Because before I was terrible about talking mm-hmm. about like real things. Right. I could only write it down. Like I could never have conversations like this. Mm-hmm. And then I looked inside, I'm like, why? And I I found that it was it stemmed from that childhood fear that I developed of. That's what people think of me. Right. If I tell people this, my image is just going to be shattered and they're only going to see me mm-hmm. as that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I realize it's not true. Right. And if they do think of me like that, it doesn't matter. It's not who I am. Right. I already shifted that weight off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and turning inward was the only way I could get past that. Yeah. So now I'm able to speak openly about this and it just makes what I'm doing that much more meaningful, that much more powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, once I was able to accept that. Yeah. And the reason I asked that question is because I know for a fact that the vast majority of people struggle with that thing mm-hmm. right there. Yeah. Is being honest with yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, we all like to believe that we're meant to do this, we're great at this, or we, or we like to show out. We'd mm-hmm. rather look the part than actually yeah. do what makes us happy, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, like having that persona for right. yourself. Right. Because like, and- it's almost like a competition. With like, I just mm-hmm. want to look like I'm doing better than all my friends. Yeah. And that's just, I see that like all the Like time. you'll go out there and you'll see people that front and that people that like, they wear the mask of the mm. successful version of themselves. Right. Uh, and, and I think like deep down, like, and it's like hard to not like bash on them, but like I, deep down, I do think that they obviously want to do well yeah. and they want to be happy. It, yeah. it isn't the case that they just, I'm, you know. I'm not, say, I'm not saying that they're fake or that right, they're right. wrong. I'm just saying like, as you were saying, it's a struggle. Yeah. And I think the quickest way Again, to get past that is like you just said, and that's again look, looking inside, being honest with yourself. Yeah. And I think we can both agree that that is one of the most uncomfortable things to do. Oh yeah, it's. But it's for, and if you can like really just do it, it's mm-hmm. for a relatively short period of time, mm-hmm. and then there's something amazing on the other side. And there's also a huge difference between looking at like evaluating your insecurities and mm-hmm. looking at the things you don't like and right. obsessing over them. 
because uh, that's also also a thing that a lot of people struggle with is they see things that they don't like about themselves. Oh, thought it was going to vibrate. There we go. Uh, but there's definitely these things that people don't like about themselves that they will fixate on right. and they will build their identity around. I'm not good at this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, that's not what we're trying to say, obviously. Right, right. It's more along the lines of you have to accept those parts of yourself and move past them. Yeah, yeah. Good. And the reason I asked that question is because I think we all deal with that and cope with it in different ways. You know, mm-hmm. obviously it's easy for me to sit here and just say, hey, just be honest with yourself. And then there's, it gets really good after that. But how is really important to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. How do I make that happen? Yeah. That's uh, one of the more difficult yeah. things to answer. Because I think yeah. everybody does it like in different ways. Mm-hmm. Again, like writing stuff down, that helped me a lot. Yeah. And you that's, know what I mean? that's where I, that's how I did it was I wrote it all down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that's when I started writing. It was like, okay, I don't like where I came from, but I can process it mm-hmm. and I can learn from it. And I can realize that it does not dictate who I am. Right. And that's how I worked through all of that was through my writing. Uh, and some people deal with it uh, by talking to others, mm-hmm. by sharing it. Uh, some people deal with it by just looking into themselves and just meditating mm-hmm. and being alone with their thoughts. There's a million ways to process it. But if they can turn that eye inward and like see what they don't like about themselves and accept that, then there's... An, Possibilities are endless. Mm-hmm. Is that something that like, and again, because I'm always super fascinated by how we came to to think mm-hmm. in the ways that we do. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. obviously, I, I do think that by having experiences that are extreme, so to speak, that were like really uncomfortable, really difficult. I think it's a lot of people will go through again their fair shares of of uncomfortable, but I do think like yeah. the younger you are, the more uncomfortable you go through. If you can find some way to to find something positive in it, that's when things, you know, that'll, that'll help shape the mindset because with mm-hmm. something that you did when you were younger, especially mm-hmm. going through all that stuff with your dad, yeah. at 11 years old, you can't decide for yourself right then and there that you just, yeah. that, you know, my dad, this is wrong. I know how to handle myself now. Like, you just don't know yeah, that no, stuff. I didn't, I didn't grow up in a day. Right. Obviously. Right. Uh, that, it was but you could have done one of two things. You could have lashed out and done awful things. Because you're naturally that and, way, you grew up in that environment, yeah. but you didn't. And and I don't want to pretend like I was a saint right. after that either. Like I I was volatile for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't immediately just become oh that turned to anger or oh that was great. It, it's a struggle that you deal with with yourself. It's like oh this is bad. You start to learn mm-hmm. more about yourself from that. Like there are, there are friends that I have to this day where I was awful to them for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's because I was dealing with so much and I didn't know who I was or how to handle it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I knew that I didn't want to be awful to them. But again, it happened at that age where hormones are flying. Right. Uh, right. So right. I can attribute it to a million different things, but it all comes down to like acknowledging like, yeah, I was mean then. Yeah. Did I have control? Who knows, but can I move forward from that? Right. Absolutely. Right. And that's like, that. that's that self-awareness that's, amazing because mm-hmm. like, as you get older and it, it was the case for me like when I was going through like the hardest times mm-hmm. even then I for some reason I understood that it isn't really anybody else's fault mm-hmm. that things don't go my way yeah it isn't the case that the world owes me anything yeah other people don't owe me anything yeah. once mm-hmm. I realized that for myself regardless of how bad things got I could never find myself treating somebody else poorly mm-hmm. and nothing ever bugged me more than what if it was strangers or people that I worked with or was around a lot and they take out their like, frustrations on me. It's like, mm-hmm. I have nothing to do with your personal life. It's, for me, it's, you know, what happens to you 
That's for you to interpret. That yeah. isn't for you to, to lash out on other people. And it can end there. Right, right. Like, if something negative happens to you, you can be the final stop for that negative. Right, right. Uh, and that, it takes a lot to do that. Yeah. Um, but if you can make that happen, it's right. It's pretty yeah. magnificent. And, and I think, like, the one way, I, uh, one way I understood it is that, again, no matter what's going on in my personal life or yours, mm-hmm. nobody cares. Yeah. And that's something that, like, we have to be, like, very honest with ourselves about, like, mm-hmm. Obviously, obviously, it's, it is true that there are certain obstacles in our lives, certain things that don't go well that we have to struggle with and deal with. But at the end of the day, that can never be a reason why I'll treat somebody else yeah. different or poorly. They have nothing to do with my circumstances. Yeah. You know, a, like a lot of sayings are two-way streets. Right. A lot of people like to say you never know what somebody's going through. Nobody knows what you're going through right. as well. Right. Like if somebody's having a bad day, yeah, you never know what they're going mm-hmm. through. Vice versa, just because something terrible was happening to you at the time, you don't have to extend that outward. Right. right. Um, and that and that's one of those things, again, like I said, it's way easier than said than done. Oh, yeah. Because most people will agree. Well, it makes sense that, hey, if I'm going through stuff, it makes sense that I'm not mean to other people that I'm not going to do mm-hmm. with it. Everybody would agree with that. Mm-hmm. But when you're living it and those emotions are there, how do you deal mm-hmm. with it then? For me, yeah. and that's such a say, but the one that I always go to is that no one cares. Yeah. You know what I mean? And there's truth there. It sounds yeah. callous. Yeah, but like, right, it's, right. It's really... And like, once you accept that, mm-hmm. at least for me, and this, again, mm-hmm. this is just for me, maybe not for everybody else, but once I accept it, they're like, nobody cares. I take that as a very, very good positive thing. Mm-hmm. Because nobody cares, again, like I said, what you're going through. So I learned that it, it is all on me how I want to treat people. If I want to have a good day and things to go well, I have to be the one to, to treat other people well if I want mm-hmm. that in return. That doesn't mean I'll get it in return. I don't expect it. Yeah. But if I'm kind to you, there's a good chance that you're kind yeah. to me too. It's, and if you're not... It's way more probable right. that things are going to go well right. if you're treating other people well. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's another one of those things where if you don't give the opportunity, it's not going to happen. Exactly, yeah. So I think a lot, a lot of it is on us, you know? Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's one of the things I talk about the most where everything is on me, yeah. whether it goes great or whether it goes awful. That's just my mindset. And I think a lot of people like, they do like it, but then for a lot of other people, it's also that's just unrealistic sometimes. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? And it, it is, again, like I said, everything is on me. Obviously, there's obstacles that exist outside myself that make life more challenging, mm-hmm. of course. Yeah. But if I decide to focus on those, it's going to be tough to get anywhere. Mm-hmm. If I can focus on the things that I can actually control or how, yeah. how can I make things better, if I ask myself mm-hmm. that question, chances are it'll probably be better. You Focusing know? on things that you have zero control over is never going to get you anywhere. Right. Uh, if you look towards the things that you can actually change or can actually influence, mm-hmm. that's real change that you're making in your life at that time. Uh, there's there's going to be insurmountable obstacles, but just look at the ones that you can get over. I think one of the more difficult questions, but the more beneficial one to ask yourself is how you can make mm-hmm. something work or happen. Yeah, That to me is... Once you get in the, uh, in the mindset of how, 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 how can I make this happen? Because the easiest thing in the world for me to do is to say that I can't do this because of that or because of so-and-so or because of that situation. That's very easy. If I ask you, why can't you do this, Derek? You can list 500 things. Yeah. If I ask you, how can you make this happen? Then you say anything. Yeah. It might take a little while, but I mm-hmm. guarantee you get an answer. And the answer is going to make you really uncomfortable because it requires some sort of action. Yeah. You know? Real quick, one thing I do want to get back to is... Mm-hmm. Again, very, at the beginning, you said you kind of bounced from mom's side of things to dad's, and neither of them were necessarily great. Mm-hmm. How's the relationship with mom nowadays? Relationship with mom, I'm actually 
I'm going there this Saturday. That's like okay. my family Christmas and everything. Uh, after after I moved out, uh, we had like a big reevaluation of our relationship. It, I mean that this reevaluation started on my 16th birthday. She had uh, she had a really bad uh, like cardiac incident uh, where we we thought we were gonna lose her, uh, and that really forced her to realize that uh, she was letting the way she was raised in her childhood influence how she raised me mm-hmm. uh, because my mom was raised in a worse situation than I was believe it or not mm-hmm. uh, and her mindset had always been I can never let anything like that happen to him and his life has to be better than mine mm-hmm. uh, and that involved putting incredibly high expectations because she was never expected to do well in school so she thought if she expected me to go do well in school and force me on those expectations that i would meet them right uh and that her parents weren't really involved in her life so she wanted to be over involved in mine and control every aspect of my life to create this perfect life that she had envisioned obviously that's not the way people work mm-hmm. uh and she had a we her and i had like a solid three years where it was this back and forth between yes, what you went through was hard, and I see the reasons why you acted the way that you did, but that does not excuse those actions mm-hmm. sort of situation. And we finally come to a place over years of talking with one another and years of trying to repatch that relationship to a point where it's it's back to one of mother and son. Mm-hmm. We're very close. Uh, and uh, it's very easy to write off parents, and obviously mm-hmm. not every parent deserves a second chance. My dad does not. Right. I believe my mom did because I knew what she was doing did come from a place where she, where she thought she was doing good by me mm-hmm. uh, and making her realize the effect that she had on me broke her heart and she wanted to patch that up and she wanted to do better and she is and uh, the way that she's raising my younger brother is infinitely better than the way that she raised me mm-hmm. and everything is it's not a, it's not perfect by any means. Who, but, who made the first like move as far as trying to make things better was it her reaching uh, out or was it you it, it was me mm-hmm. um because she noticed that she had been pushing me away and she just didn't understand why and she thought it was just because i hated her mm-hmm. uh, and i never hated her but i did dislike her mm-hmm. for a long time uh and uh it was just sort of me overcoming like years of ingrained guilt and fear of disappointing parents and everything like that to say no what you were doing was wrong, and this is why. Uh, and obviously, that was not received very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she, uh, over years, came to terms and agreed with me and was like, yes. And she apologized, and she wanted to make it better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a very slow road right. to healing those healing those. Things. But it's worth it, would you say? Yeah, I'd say, I'd say it was worth it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it doesn't apply to every situation. But right. the situations that it does apply to, it's, it's absolutely worth it. Um, sort of repairing those broken relationships because mm-hmm. family is important. Right. Uh, I, and I mean family in the sense of family is who you make it. Right. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. So, That's something I firmly believe too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like uh, my grandparents on both sides and all my aunts and uncles, that, that's not my family. Right. They don't talk to me. I don't talk to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my mom, my stepdad, my brother, my, my step-siblings, like that's family. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aurora, my friend that I, I've known since first grade, she's my sister. Mm-hmm. like that's family yeah that's what that is uh my my girlfriend's family their family my mm-hmm. i i always say i have 10 nieces and one nephew mm-hmm. 
nobody ever knows the breakdown if they're actually <laughs> my siblings or if they're my girlfriend's right, siblings. Right. They're, they're my family. Yeah. There's no distinction yeah. between that. Yeah. Like, family is what you make it. Mm-hmm. And it takes love and it takes effort. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I absolutely agree. Mm-hmm. That, that's how it is for me. Like, when I came, like, when I moved to Wahoo for the first time, I didn't have, like, many friends. There was one neighbor kid that I got along with. And we've been, yeah. like, best friends, like, ever since, you know. And his family is American. Um, and so, like, they kind of took me in. And, and so, I hung out with them all the time. And, in fact, the very first day I met him, mm-hmm. I stayed overnight that yeah. night. Really? That yeah. same night. Because I helped them move in. They were moving in. I saw a moving truck. I said, can I help you guys out? Yeah. And so, we moved stuff in. And I stayed the night there. And, like, it's... I mean, truly, like they're all, yeah, which is amazing. I have, like, I have like blood family that lives in different states, and it, it, it's not the same. You yeah. don't spend time with them, you don't get to know them very well. So, like, you can't force yourself to feel a certain way about people just because mm-hmm. of blood. Yeah, you know. Yeah, because at the end of the day, blood means next to nothing. Yeah, well, I agree. I agree. I think one amazing thing you did is by reaching out to your mom and doing that and trying to rebuild the relationship. Obviously, I think that it probably feels really good for you. I know yeah. that, but I bet it feels even better for her. Mm-hmm. Just because for her, I'm, I'm sure that yeah. she's at her. <laughs> I was her whole. I was her whole life. Yeah. Because <laughs> with my with my dad, uh, she had she had a total of three kids. She had me, uh, and she had my she had my sisters. My sisters were twins, and one was a stillbirth, mm-hmm. uh, and then the other was uh, had cerebral palsy, which is quadriplegic. Mm-hmm. Um, so she has to live in like a home and everything. So she felt like she lost right. two of her kids, and she just had me, and she built her whole life around me. She didn't realize the damage that she did to me. And when she learned that damage, it destroyed her. But the fact that I reached out and continued to build that, she felt like she regained that and she saved that. Because I think by you giving her a second chance, it's giving her a second chance at life too in a lot of ways. And it it really, it was not easy to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, I struggled a lot during that time doing that because she was not receptive to it at first. And it it would have been so easy to walk away so many times. But... You persist because you do love that person. You do see yeah. that what they did was out of what they thought was love. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you just try to teach them a healthy way to absolutely. And that all falls into I think with with what you're doing with your with your mm-hmm. vision, the net positive, all mm-hmm. that stuff yeah. has a role in there as well. Mm-hmm. And you're yeah. doing your part to make that sort of stuff mm-hmm. happen. Yeah. Derek, I do think this is a good place to stop. Yep. I do want to say just one more time, thanks for doing this. Oh, absolutely. Again, I know you and I had known each other for a few months. Mm-hmm. so I know it's like difficult and maybe uncomfortable to sit down and have these conversations so it means a whole lot to me I think more than you think yeah. that you would actually sit down and be as open as you were if I'm honest I wasn't expecting that I was hoping you'd be yeah. as open as possible yeah. and you were more so and like that means the world to me mm-hmm. and so I, just want, I want you to know well, that that's I, I the really case. believe in what you're doing mm-hmm. like it plays exactly into what my vision is mm-hmm. like it, it's making the world a better place in any way you can yeah. and I really respect that yeah. so I, it is no trouble for me to do Good, so. good. I'm glad. Derek, thanks again so much. Uh, we'll call it that. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Again, I am Stavo, and this is Vision is Greater Than Anything. Until next time.